0: Welcome, Sean Kleefeld. Welcome. I am so excited to have you on Professor Latinx videocasts.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is this is great.
0: Sean, even before we get into the why comics uh, and your sort of origin story, I want to hear a little bit about your trademark look, your hat, your, uh, yeah, your hat. Tell us about your hat. <laughs>
1: So, so funny story is I, uh, a friend of mine was coming through town several years ago and don't see him very much. And, you know, hey, you want to hang out and grab lunch or something. Great. Um, we went to, we ended up at a Panera and it was a gorgeous day, sat outside and shot the breeze for, I don't know, four or five hours. And it was fantastic. had a great time. He went on to, you know, whatever other stuff he's doing. And I went back home and I was just absolutely burnt. I was head to toe, just all around, like fire engine red all over. And I was like, no, nope, okay, I can't be doing this. I, I need a good hat. And we, because we were even sitting on an umbrella and everything, uh, but that didn't help. Um, so I started looking around for a good hat that, a, I had a couple of requirements. A, it had to have a full brim all the way around, right? Couldn't just be a baseball cap and burn your ears or whatever. Um, B, it had to be breathable because I get really warm, particularly outside. So something that's not like a fedora that's all felt and, and captures all the heat. And, and three, I wanted it to be crushable uh, so I could fold it up, throw it in my back pocket or whatever. Um, which was a little thing that I had seen in, um, the doctor who series with Peter Davidson's doctor had a crushable hat. And I always thought that was very cool. Um, and you know, just try and put some style on it and whatever. So I looked around, uh, online, spent a lot of time looking around, finally came across a company out of Australia that was making these bush hats out of kangaroo leather and it fit all my criteria, looked kind of Indiana Jones-ish. So I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Let me pick up on that. Um, and started wearing that around. And it worked exactly the way I hoped. Uh, and, that. and as I started, uh, I started thinking about it, it, was, it also ended up being a great um, kind of visual for just meeting people. You know, if I was going to a convention or something and somebody said, hey, I want to meet up. I was like, okay, great, yeah, just look for this hat and then you know it's me, right? And you don't have to worry about, okay, well, I'll meet you at this place and who are you? Um, and it kind of rolled from there. Um and I started thinking about it a little bit more, and that actually kind of led to the the full look. You know, if you've ever anybody who's met me in person has seen me, I looked kind of like a bad Indiana Jones cosplay. Uh but But that's deliberate because of the hat. Uh, The hat kind of informed the rest of the look. And I I was sitting around thinking about it. I was like, you know, Stan Lee always wore the same thing all the time. Jim Steranko wore the same thing all the time. Seth wears the same thing all the time. It's a great visual. You know, you always know what this guy looks like. You always know what he's going to show up as. So let me run with that, too. So kind of went with the, the rest of the outfit and got kind of this, Uh, a whole wardrobe of uh, clothes that would work well in a safari kind of thing and um, kind of ties into the whole, it it does kind of the whole comics studies thing is I I kind of look at, I try to think of myself uh, somewhat egotistically as, uh, as kind of an Indiana Jones of comics or something. So um, I I enjoy digging into this, uh, a lot of this stuff and, uh, you know, makes for a nice visual, nice, nice kind of iconic bit. So, Absolutely, uh, I, I can wear an outfit and everybody can recognize me, or you know, anytime they meet me um, at a convention or whatever. So.
0: And next time I'm looking for the Ark of the Covenant, I'll come and uh, look you up, Sean. Um, so tell absolutely. Me, <laughs> tell me, you're an independent scholar, absolutely dedicated to comics and really enriching our understanding of comics. You write for um, a number of different uh, venues and spaces. That Jack kirby collective your work's been used for marvel entertainment among others but how what's your story how did you get into this sean
1: uh it's just it's honestly it's like it's one of those that i've just always been in it really um i've been reading comics literally as long as i can remember um i know my parents have photographs of me uh in like batman t-shirts and whatever when i was like Three, four years old, you know, so it's it's just kind of always been there. Um, and, uh, you know, so I grew up with comics, reading Superman, Batman, Justice League, all of that stuff, watching Super Friends on TV. Um, and I got to be, uh, so on my 11th birthday, then, like every year, I got a few comics, uh, among other things. And one of the comics I got, was uh, Fantastic Four number 254, which was a middle of John Byrne's run on that series. And I was just absolutely blown away by that. It was, uh, I'm sure most people don't remember the issue is the Fantastic Four are exploring the negative zone. They're doing, you know, very Fantastic Four things. And at the end of it, um, the alien in that particular series uh, captures Reed Richards' mind and absorbs it out of him and reed richards is left as a lifeless body more or less and the last line is reed richards is dead or something and i just had to know what came next right it was one of those oh my god what's what's going on they can't kill him off he was the main guy how do you uh so i got the next issue and then the next issue and then the next issue and right and that that kind of snowballed and became a real big fan of fantastic four because of that um you know John, John Burns run on the FF is, you know, lauded for a good reason. Right. Um, But uh, as I started reading those, I started like, okay, this is great there after I read, I don't know, a dozen issues or something. I was like, well, yeah, there's 200 some more issues that I haven't read yet. So let me find out these characters are really interesting. Let me see more. So I started working my way backwards and, you know, here's Marv Wolfman's run and here's, uh, Roy Thomas's run, here's Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and, and all that, and that just became more and more fascinating. Um, and interestingly, around that same time, I was getting into it, and particularly into the Kirby era stuff, was when Kirby was having that big fight with Marvel to try and get his artwork back. So there were a lot of, in the comics press, there was a lot of news articles about Jack Kirby, uh, not only trying to get that uh, his artwork back, but you know, just general background Around information. Here's so here's this other stuff he did. And, oh, by the way, he also invented the X-Men, the Avengers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, oh, by the way, he used to be doing this stuff in the forties and oh wait, he invented romance comics and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it was basically, it kind of became a broadening scope as every time I found out something more about, whatever it was, I was looking at, whether it's a fantastic four or Jack Kirby or Marvel in general or whatever, it kind of opened up this new avenue of things to look at and be interested in. So I was looking at, you know, fantastic four and wait, the Avengers guest in it. So who are the Avengers? Well, we go find out who the Avengers are. I started reading that and, um, you know, who, who is this Jack Kirby guy? Okay. Well, let me find out here. Oh, wait, what's this fourth world thing. Okay. Let me find out about that. Wait, here's, dark side and he's got all this other stuff and wait he started showing up in the super friends cartoon and wait so here's the super friends and wait that's really justice league and where the justice league well here's the justice society you know and it just kind of one of those spiraled out and, and out and out and out um and you know it just kind of has been doing that for since i was 11 years old pretty much. Right. And now here I'm pushing 50 and it's just, it's pretty much the breadth of comics at this point, you know, it was, Oh wait, here's these people in Japan are doing cool comics. And these people in France are doing cool comics and these people online are doing cool comics. And what's all this cool stuff. There's just so much amazing stuff. Um, you know, and I, I very much used to be, it's, it started off. I was a fan of superheroes first and not comics, just superheroes, you know? So I was, You know, like I said, we're watching the Super Friends cartoon or uh, the Filmation cartoons or the Superman movie, the Batman movies later when those came out. Um, But, you know, the more and more I saw of it, the more I saw there's these other things out there and seeing what was coming out, you know, seeing all that great stuff coming out of Britain in, uh, you know, the 1980s. And, you know, oh, my God, what's this Watchmen thing? What's this mouse thing? You know, and all of that that big stuff was coming right around the time that as, as my interests were broadening, the the industry seemed to be kind of broadening too. So um, like I said, it's, it's kind of always been there. And I've just spent the last several decades looking at all of it. Um, and I just, it's just been uh, an absolutely fascinating journey the whole time. I mean, uh, every time I turn around, there's something else I haven't seen before or something else new to learn. So I keep digging into it.
0: I love it. And also that um, comics, um, comics itself as a kind of university kind of, you know, archive education, training in all kind of methods, approaches, um, you know, to the study and enrichment of a a particular part of the world that we are making, creating, right, cultural phenomena. I just love it. I love it. I love your journey, and thank you. thank you for that. Tell me, gosh, you, so then you started to systematize this, right? Um, you've been researching, and then you started writing. So tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about why why this was important to you.
1: Um, that's honestly that's a good question, <laughs> there's a, and there's there's a few answers involved in that. Um, so depending on so when I started getting into this, you know, as a teenager, one of the things that, you know, this this was pre-internet, pre-web, right? You, you had to dig around for fanzines and reading the the sand soapbox column and whatever to try and get any information on what was going on, right? Because um, I lived in a very small town. I grew up as a population of like 7,000 or something like that. So there's not a whole lot of interaction. We didn't have a local comic shop at all. So I had to get stuff from the drugstore, you know, whatever. Um, so there just wasn't a lot of information available. So what I was doing at that time was anytime I did find something, I just grabbed onto it and, you know, okay, this is, this is something I need to hold onto. And I would just uh, collect, I ended up collecting a lot of that information in, in three ring binders. Um, you know, I would maybe Xerox the, if it was a, uh, a newspaper or something that was going to fall apart, I'd Xerox it and put a three hole punch in, throw it in the binder. And I had all this information stored in three ring binders, um, which not surprisingly got very wheel, unwieldy very quickly. <laughs> so even, even with the, the scanned information that was available then. Um, so I did that for several years and then in the mid nineties, uh, the internet, the, the World Wide web came about and I started hearing about that and I said, Hey, that sounds like a cool thing. And I was on, uh, America online at the time and I read at some point, Oh, Hey, they give you server space. And I think it was like a whopping five megabytes or something like that. Right. Uh, I was like, oh, okay, great. Let me play around. And, and I sat down, I taught myself HTML, which kind of sounds cool and impressive now, but it literally was a 16 page booklet that had all the HTML there was at that point. There was, it took me a weekend to figure it out. And I fat, sat down and built out a, some kind of generic web pages and said, yeah, okay, that's cool. What do I do with this now? And You know, my thought was, well, I've got all these binders full of material on comics that I want to keep and want to be able to reference. What if I transferred that all online, did those as web pages, and then I'd have access to that all the time? I wouldn't have to lug around these ugly notebooks with decaying paper and uh, hard to find stuff. I could organize it. And so I started building websites out of that material. And because there was still a lot, I was still having issues or concerns or problems getting as much information as I wanted. So when I did find something, uh, not only did I collect that, I tried to extrapolate on that as well. Right. So, okay. If I read this piece over here and I read this other piece over here, I don't know the bit in the middle, but I can make some assumptions and kind of, educate myself and make some educated guesses here and maybe somebody else might be interested in that. So I would write something down and post that. Um, so, you know, Hey, you know, Jack Kirby did this over here and Jack Kirby did this over here. And you know, are they, those two things might actually be kind of related, even though they were for different companies. Uh, so how does that, how do those play together? Um, so some of that was, uh, the idea, it started at least as the idea of working some of that out for myself. And, you know, by the process of writing, you kind of have to, you have to formalize your thinking on that, right? You to put it down into words and use grammatical structure and whatever. You actually have to organize all your thoughts to do that. Um, so part of it was that, and part of it was just getting this information out there that I didn't think was anywhere else at the time. Um, and that's, that's been a, a big chunk of it for, you know, you've got the the pieces up for, you know, my fan anthropology book, my web comics book. And a lot of that information is, or at least at the time of that I was writing it, um, was stuff that I wasn't seeing anywhere else. And, you know, I, I am referencing, here's the work that other people have done, but I'm trying to make connections that, that other people may not have seen or may not have thought, at least aren't talking about, even if they have seen them. Right. Uh, so let me, let me try and put those in writing. And some of that's, you know, like I said, organizing my own thoughts and some of it is um, putting it out there for other people to, to say, you know, Oh, Hey, yeah, that's right. Or that's wrong. Or that makes sense. But, or, Hey, let me add on to that. Um, so, a lot of my writing ends up being along those lines. Um, and what I find interesting too is, you know, I've been blogging now for over a decade, um, which means that there's a lot of stuff that I've just, I've written and completely forgotten about. And what I find amusing is from time to time I'll, you know, Hey, here's a obscure comic creator from the 1940s. Uh, I just heard about, let me Google him and then see what information is out there. And I'll find the only, only article is something that I had written myself. And, you know, I, Oh yeah, I wrote that in 2006 and I've completely forgotten about that. But, <laughs> but I have that information out there. It was like, Oh, well, this is the stuff I dug up and, and that's what you go. I mean, that's um, the, the, and I, I don't need to remember it now because it's out there. Um, the one I keep going back to, I, I do remember I've written this now, but, uh, uh, Paul Sampliner who worked for independent comics way, way, way back in the, you know, thirties and forties. There's like no information about him anywhere. Um, I did as much scouring as I could and came up with a blog post about him like, 10 years ago or something. That's still like one of the only pieces of information out there. He's, you know, there's no Wikipedia page for him or, or, He's barely referenced when you're reading about Wheeler Nicholson or, or any of the other folks in the early days of DC there. Mm. Um, you yeah. know, and, and it's kind of like an ongoing project for me. I keep going back to it every now and then. I was like, Oh, can I find anything else more about him? Uh, and has somebody else written something new on him or whatever?
0: Your work is very, very uh, so important. And in a way you've kind of already Brought us to this place about vision and approach, um, kind of the, the the urgent impulse, the passion to synthesize, to dig into the kind of records, the archives um, that have been buried, and to kind of bring it to light. Um, um, is there something something else, Sean, here in terms of your approach uh, and vision?
1: Um, a lot of it is just uh, is just very self-driven. You know, I'm not. I've never been one to, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not, as a rule, I'm not generally yeah. writing for the purpose of, uh, you know, the, the clicks or the money or <laughs> anything like that. Obviously there's not a ton of money in this, but, uh, I'm not even, uh, I'm not even thinking of low budget stuff. It's, it's whatever happens to interest me. Um, it's, um, uh, you know, Hey, there's, here's this weird character. um, that no one's ever heard of, or, or no one's written about, certainly. Um, let me, let me see what I can find on him them and let me put that out there. And this, that's just for my interest and in edification, me processing this information, uh, and trying to do something with it. And that's, that's kind of how I end up processing it. I've got another blog post I did, uh, I don't know, probably five or six years ago now on, uh, Paul Henry Cassidy who was an early Superman artist back in the, I think he started on like issue seven or nine or something like that. Um, he didn't work in the industry for a long time, but he, he was there for long enough. And you know what? He's the guy who, he, uh, the, his biggest claim to fame really is he's the guy who put the S on the back of Superman's cape. Um. That's a really stupid, obscure part of trivia for even within the Superman context. But you know, hey, that's that's something I find interesting for any variety of reasons. So, yeah, well, um,
0: those are the it's uh, the details like that that allow others to come along, whether you know we see it or another generation sees it, but can build on and dig and 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 write the stories that haven't really been written. So, thank you for that. Tell us sure. about your book, Phanthropology.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: yeah, so this, this is a, the first full-fledged book I, I tried writing. Um, this goes back to, again, kind of that broadening scope of, of interest in things. Um, at some point in, I don't know, I suppose it would have been the late 90s, uh, one of the things I became interested in as just broadening interest was the comic book fans themselves. Um, and and part of that was, like I said, I, I grew up in a very small town. I was basically the only kid in town who read comics. There was like one, there was like one or two other guys, but I was the only one who was really into it. They they knew the characters, but they weren't buying stuff on a monthly basis or whatever. Um, so as I was getting into my 20s, I was starting to go, you know, I was going to conventions and seeing creators and buying old back issues and, and whatever. And I always left those conventions feeling like I missed out on something. And I, it, it took me a long time to figure out what. And what I was missing out on is I was going there to meet those creators and get autographs and buying those back issues, stuff that wasn't at my local comic shop or that I could buy online at, uh, at that. I think you could buy stuff online at that point. But there weren't many vendors. Um, but I was, you know, I was leaving these conventions and feeling like I was missing out. And what I realized I was missing out on was that fan experience, right? I wasn't going with a group of friends and and we were all hanging out and just having a good time. I wasn't going there and meeting up with friends that I only saw at conventions or anything like that. Um, and it got me thinking about, well, what is this? comic fandom experience. I mean, I'd read about it, right? I would certainly seeing letters in the back of the comics and, and the fanzines had to be created by somebody uh, and all that. Um, but I wasn't really, ex- I didn't feel like I was really experiencing it very much. Um, so I was looking around and trying to get an interest in, and trying to figure out and understand what the comic book fan group was like as, you know, why they come together, why they, Why do you do cosplay, why do you, uh, you know, meet, or how do you connect with people uh, at a convention, uh, just the, the whole gamut. Um, but this was, like I said, late 90s, early 2000s, something like that, and no one was writing about that. Um, uh, Henry Jenkins had been doing some work in fandom, broadly speaking, um, but his work tended to focus more on sci-fi. Um, And so he's talking about Star Trek and uh, Blake seven and and some of those types of things, which is great, but I wasn't seeing anything with regards to comics. Um, The only other thing that was out there really was uh, Bill Shelley had a couple of books out at that point, I think, but his books on fandom, comic book fandom were specifically just histories and not, he didn't really get into the, the thinking behind it or, 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 whole lot of what people, he he was kind of just more looking at the factual information. Here's what Jerry Bales did. Here's what Roy Thomas did. Here's what, uh, you know, all these people were doing. Here's the the Maggie Thompson. She started this and whatever. But it didn't really get into very much of kind of the whys and wherefores uh, of all of that. So the comic book anthropology was my attempt at trying to figure that out, basically, because no one else had done it at that time, um, relied heavily on Jenkins, of course, relied a lot on, uh, Bill Shelley's, you know, there's a lot of references to both of them in there. Um, but then there's also, I tried to dig up and basically teach myself, uh, psychology 101. <laughs> as, as, a matter of fact, to figure out, you know, how, how these, uh, you know, how these people create archetypes within a, a, in group and how does that how does that differentiate them from this other group over there? It's that kind of whole us versus them notion, um, and so I, you know that's that's what the whole book is about is trying to figure out what how all that works together. There's a little bit of history in there and a little bit of uh, you know kind of high level stuff, um, but that's what that book is. And um, you know I think for its time, I think it it works very well. Um, or it worked very well at its time. I think it I published that in 2007 if I remember right. Um, but what I found interesting is that it was like right at the front end of fandom being a thing that people studied like on a regular basis, you know? Um, so there was right after this came out and within maybe a year or two, um you, there was almost an explosion of of uh, academic work and and uh you know regular published books and whatever on fandom and fan activities and there were documentaries being created and all of this interest and information was started coming out, which unfortunately has kind of superseded a lot of everything that I wrote here. Um, this works as kind of a really base level primer at this point, but there's, there's been a whole lot of research that has been done since then. Uh, a whole lot of, uh, of of excellent academic work that has been done since then that really gets into it a lot deeper than I could possibly have. But, you know, like I said, at the time there was, there was nothing out there. I didn't have any points of reference. Um, so that's, that's why i put it together you know is was just to, to kind of work through that and and have something figured out for myself
0: again right you you have to kind of do what you do and then hope that others come along as they did and uh, refine and and advance and complicate and even refute um, but yeah. that's how knowledge advances right um yeah. yeah why web comics and this is like you know particularly for me a really exciting area because Gosh, I mean, in a way, like you've been talking, what, the way you were talking about your fanthropology, um, we don't have a systematic study yet just on webcomics. So tell us about mm-hmm. this book, yeah.
1: Yeah, this is, this is another one where there's just nothing written on it, or very, very, very little. Um, as, as of today, I believe there are six books in total that have ever been printed on webcomics. And four of them are not published anymore. They're out of print. And the other two, uh, both are by same guy, Brad Geiger, who does some wonderful comics work himself. Um, But those are more geared towards the creators themselves and, and kind of almost a how to type of uh, setup. Um, The, yeah, there's, so there's just not a whole lot being written. And honestly, I, I don't for the life of me know why in 2020 this hasn't been studied more. Um, I started getting interested in web comics right around the turn of the century, right? Like 2000, 2001, thereabouts. Um, And I remember coming to the scene and thinking, wow, I'm really late to this. And I felt like I was needed to do a lot of catch up and trying to figure out, oh, well, there's all these guys that have already been established and, you know, if I start reading PvP now, well, I understand that because he's already been doing this for several years, right? And um, I remember thinking, you know, act- actively having to convince myself to try and pick up some of those, those what were then even, uh, what were then considered long-running comics like Penny Arcade and PvP and some of those and i had to I had to sit down and actively convince myself, well, this would be no different than when I picked up fantastic four number two fifty four and there were two hundred issues before that that's the exact same thing I dove in then I've got to dive into this now um and that was two thousand one right two thousand two something like that um, at the time you know there was there were i felt not a good um presentation, uh, the uh, presentation model that really worked. Yeah. You could certainly go online you can go to a website and read these comics and you could get the punchline if it was a gag comic or f- follow along with the story well enough, if it was a, a more of a serial, but, um, you know, the, 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 univer- the, the, navigation, the, uh, the user experience, wasn't great, I, f- I felt at the time. So I didn't really get into it right away. It took me another few years. Um, and honestly, the, the the way I got into that was uh, Phil and Cadia Folio's Girl Genius. Um, I had read Phil's work back in the 80s. Uh, one of my interests in, in high school was Dungeons and Dragons. And Phil had a a comic strip in the back of dragon magazine that I really, really enjoyed all the time. So when I saw he was doing this girl genius thing, I was right on board. I think that started in 2001, 2002, maybe. Uh, But it was a print only magazine. Um, But you know, Hey, I was going to the comic shop anyway, just picked that up along with fantastic four and whatever else I was getting. Um, And after I think it was six or eight issues, uh, he started posting some of the information and some of the stories online too. And I looked at that and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's cool, but I am like the print version better. So I just kept getting that until I think it was around issue 13 or 14. He, he and Kaja uh, realized that they were basically breaking even on the print comics. But every time a print comic would come out, the web traffic would go way up and they'd actually end up making money off of the, the webcomic through, you know, ancillary sales of, you know, T-shirts or whatever else they were selling at the time. Um, and they said, well, we're just breaking even on the comic, on the printed comic. Let's scrap that and just do it exclusively online. Um, and at that point, I was like, okay, well, you know, I've been joining this for 13 issues. If I want to keep reading this, I've got to go all in on webcomics. Um, and like I said, I think that was 2004, 2005 maybe. Um, and at that point I was still thinking, okay, I'm really late to the game here. I, you know, this, this has been going on. They've been running this for a while. PVP had been going on for six or eight years at that point. I think any arcade had been going on for six or eight years, uh, a bunch of others. Um, but I realized that I quickly realized that the reason why it wasn't getting any traction in say like the the news outlets was because there's no money in it at that time right nobody was nobody was making really any money per se not not enough to make a living certainly um but then as started people started doing that and you know you started getting um you know the scott kurtz and and phil and caya folio and and all of them um they start making money and saying, Hey, I'm earning a living doing this. You know, I'm, I'm selling ads on the site. I'm selling t-shirts. I'm selling printed copies of the book after the facts, after they've been online, this is an industry, we can do this. Um, I was like, yeah, okay. This is the thing. So I, that's when I, you know, trying to investigate at the time how web comics worked financially. That was, again, that was just kind of an interest that I had personally. I just finished up my MBA at the time. So I had all this kind of uh, you know, spreadsheets and stuff kind of flowing through my head already. Um, And so I started writing on that, just blogging about it. Here's a thing. Here's how this could work. Here's how this financial model might work and that kind of thing. Um, And I did that for, I don't know, five, six years. And I still wasn't seeing anybody else talking about it, you know, and it it's just, um, yeah, and, and it's consistently been like that. And, and frankly, I don't understand that. I mean, I, I kind of got it early on. Like I said, there wasn't a financial model. It just seemed kind of like hobby-ish uh, in the early 2000s, you know. And so, yeah, okay, I could see why it's not getting covered on The Beat or or newsorama or any of those. But, you know, 10 years on, 15 years on, 20 years on, um, you know, we've got, industries here. I mean, the Penny Arcade guys, that's a, that is a little, literal industry. There's what, like 15, 16 employees there. They've got, they've done TV shows. They've done, uh, you know, promotional spots for, for major companies like, you know, Microsoft and PlayStation and and them. Um, That, that is, they've several times over proven that's a viable industry. It's making money just as well as, you know, uh, Marvel or DC or dark horse or any of the traditional publishers. Um, but for whatever reasons, um, that's just not been covered. Um, and I go into a little bit of that into the book, right? Um, there's, there's some, there's some rationale for it. I think some, um, you you know, that's, there's the notion that, you know, web comics just haven't been around as long. Right. So uh, there's a, not as much to study, you know, there's, you know, Charles Schultz was working on comics for, you know, 40 or 50 years before the web was even invented. Right. So he's got a, he had this huge bulk of material built up before web comics were even a thing. Um, you know, and, and people had time to study all that. Right. Um, and I think I, there was a, I read something from uh, Jared Gardner a couple years ago too, which, which kind of struck me is He, he posted, he posited that one of the reasons that academia largely didn't have anything to do with comics for so such a long time was because there was no place to really talk about them and and publish about them in terms of academic journals, right? Um, They didn't really fit into the literature journals that were out there and they didn't really fit into the art journals out there. Um, They're just kind of, you know, because it's this art. And language and all of this kind of works together, there was no one place that always made sense. You always kind of had to, okay, well, I can talk about Watchmen, but I can only talk about it from the standpoint of what Alan Moore did and kind of ignore Dave Gibbons on this, right? You know, it's we're talking about the layers and structure of the meta text or whatever. Well, I can sit down and talk about what Dave Gibbons did and kind of ignore all the, the backstory and and whatever that alan was putting into things um you know there was the ink's journal came out in 93 and ran for a couple of years but that was that was what for only three or four years that was pretty short lived and there's the the new version of the ink's journal which started was that two or three years ago um but that's only two or three years ago right so up until that time up until two years ago there was basically nowhere where you could sit down and write and a journal article about comics. Um, so you know, no one was really focused on that. And I think that, that kind of is exemplified even more with web comics because there's the additional component of the technology behind it. Right. And if you're talking about Watchmen or mouse or Dark Knight Returns or whatever, um, the, the printing technology isn't all that different than it was two hundred years ago right i mean it's It's computerized it's uh, you know larger production runs also, there are, there are a lot of differences there, but the fundamentals are basically the same. You put ink on a stamp and you squish the, that stamp onto a piece of paper you've got a printed copy um, with the With the web that just that layer just doesn't exist right there's there's the technology involved of uh, of crafting the comics because a lot of these are done digitally now on a on a tablet or something um, and then uploading that and you've got server capacity and you got to talk about how the internet works in general computers talking back and forth to one another and i think that third component is something that a lot of people don't really, they're not, they can, they maybe figured out the, the art component. They've figured out the writing component, but they haven't figured out the technical component to kind of bring all those together. Um, I have a relatively unique background um, that does kind of mix all of those. Um, so I'm able to kind of talk to, I, I think I'm one of the few people who's able to talk to all three aspects of that. Um, a little bit more readily than than other people. Is, um, my bachelor's degree was actually in graphic design, so I did learn. You know, I grew up learning all of the print techniques and the art and and all of those angles of things. Um, obviously, i would spent a lot of time, you know, figuring out writing just by sitting down and doing it, doing the blog and and Kirby Collector and everything else I've been and working on. Um, but then my day job for the past. Twenty-ish years um, has been the internet in some capacity. I've either been designing or developing or or doing. I was web admin for a while. I, my current official day job title is digital media strategist. Um, so you know, I'm I've been on kind of all aspects of how the web works as well as uh, so I know I can speak the the language of the IT guys and know how all that pulls together. So I think that that's one of the reasons is that web comics haven't been discussed in in that term, in those terms in academia is because there's that IT component that is people just kind of not sure how to deal with. Right. You know, they can, they can read the comics and say, well, uh, uh, Raina smile. Perfect example. Right. Everybody loves talk, talking about that. It's a great book and love, you know, tons of kids have picked that up, got them to read fantastic. Lots of things we can talk about here. Um, but that was a webcomic first, right? But before school got a hold of that. That was, she posted that online. Nobody talks about that. Um, and honestly, I, I, the first draft I did of this book, I completely forgot that as well. And I didn't reference her at all because it just totally skipped my brain. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, a lot of people, you know, the, obviously she, she did something right to get the attention of Scholastic to have them come to her and say, hey, we want to publish this, right? Um, and it's a great story. And you can see, you know, all of the, the storytelling, the art, et cetera, that goes into that. Um, but everybody comes at it from that perspective as a completed work when that's not what it was. Mm. Um you kind of see the same thing with Watchmen too, right? That was originally a monthly series. Came out for for a year, basically. I think it was a year and a bit. I think the last couple issues were late if I remember right. Um but everybody reads it as a trade paperback and talks about it in terms of the graphic novel format, which it wasn't originally. It was, you know, you didn't get that cool effect of the back covers for anybody who hasn't read the <laughs> the floppy version you don't get that cool effect of the back covers with the blood dripping down over the clock and it gets deeper and deeper by the time you get to issue 12, it's almost an entire page of red. Um, you know, so there, there's some element of that that's lost because you're not thinking of it. Most people aren't thinking of it in those terms. And, and I think you, you see a lot of that. The uh, Nimona is another one, right? Started off as a webcomic. Everybody uh, looked at that and said, Hey, this is great, but let's publish it. And that's when it started getting attention. Um, and you see that in the, uh, that's the other thing you, you see in the the news articles, you know, your, again, your news aramas, your comics beat, whatever. Um, people tend to start, uh, to people tend to talk about web comics only in relation to the print comics. Oh, Hey, Mark Wade is doing this thing on the internet. Oh, Hey, Warren Ellis is doing this thing on the internet. Um, or Hey, Scott Clevenger. Used to be on the internet. Now he's doing this print thing, um, and th- it, I think it's that that internet component, that technical component, that throws people. They, they're not quite sure how that works. They're not quite sure uh, how the business model operates. They're not sure how the technical angle works. Um, I, I think that's where the breakdown happens. I think a lot of people aren't seeing it in those terms. Um, yeah, so one of the a
0: lot of sense, Sean. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Uh, I was just gonna say one of the the interesting thing when I when I first wrote the book proposal, um, you know, we shopped around and they had a, a several professors take a look at it and say, "Hey, what do you think? What what would you want to see or not see in this?" Um, and I remember one of the responses came back said, "You know, this sounds good. This is we something we definitely need, but it doesn't talk about you know uh, the genres at all." And I was like, "Well." No, because the genres aren't part of part and parcel of webcomics genre. You can talk about genre in any, any media format, right? There are genres within cinema or, or comics or TV or prose or whatever. That's, you know, that, that's not what we're talking about here. Web comics specifically is, uh, and is a venue, of comics in the same way that graphic novels that's like trying to say there's a genre to graphic novels or there's a genre to monthly serial comics or, or something like that it, it doesn't quite work like that right yeah, um yeah. That and sense. and it, yeah, you know it's, it, people don't i think a lot of people miss that and they're they're not quite sure they haven't quite figured out how to process it yet and and the, i think there's a lot of that is still going on
0: well, uh fortunately your book is almost out and you will be helping kind of open that pathway for many of us. Um you, I'm you, your blog you've mentioned over what a decade, couple of decades now. So this is definitely teaching by other means. Um do you see it that way? And what are some of your others the other spaces where you also kind of disseminate knowledge about
1: comics? Um yeah, you know, I don't look at it as teaching per se. I mean, it, it's I try to be educational with it. Um, one of the things I often have trouble remembering, though, is that something that I'm have may have known for years, something that I read about and learned about long ago. It might not be common knowledge yet, so I don't. I tend not to think of it in in educational terms like that. Uh, or I don't think of my writing, uh, my, my blog, certainly in terms of educational terms, um, you know, uh, I remember having conversations in high school with one of the few people. And like I said, there weren't many people who, who read comics at all, but I do remember having a conversation with somebody back then talking about Bill Finger being the co-creator of Batman. And that was still up until the documentary. When was that? Like four or five years ago. Most people still didn't know that, right, even within comics. Um, And I I tend to forget that, uh, honestly. I I forget that a lot, that uh, uh, what what I'm writing about isn't necessarily common knowledge. And I try to check myself uh, manually when I can. Um, But, you know, I don't approach my writing like that, typically. Um, It's, in a lot of cases, it's, like I said earlier, it's a lot of just organizing as a way of organizing my thoughts and trying to to process here's how I'm thinking about you know this subject whether that's a creator whether that's a comic series whether that's a character or a publisher uh, publishing model uh, the technology behind it whatever Um, and most of my writing tends to be along those lines same with like uh, Jack Kirby collector right my my column in, in that uh, I've been doing that for about a decade as well. Now, I think something like that. Um, My column, every issue is I take one character that Jack Kirby designed and try to look at how Jack Kirby designed him and why, and how that may have changed over however long he happened to draw that character. Right. So what did the thing look like in Fantastic Four number one versus what did he look like in Fantastic Four number 102? Um, and, and where did that change happen? How much of that was really Joe Sinnott's inking and how much of that was Dick Ayers inking or, you know, whomever, and how much of that was Jack? What was he thinking when he, how did he switch this? Um, Which may well be educational for somebody who's, you know, reading that for the first time who maybe hasn't studied that particular comic series or not studied it that closely, but it's, it still comes back to me figuring it out for myself is that's something that I'm personally interested in and in trying to figure out, um, you know, why did, why did Jack Kirby approach uh, visually approach Icarus di- different than he approached Galactus? You know, there's, you know, he was, if you sit down, because I, I, I've wrote, written articles on, on both of them at various points, Galactus strangely looks absolutely identical every time Jack drew him. He, he had a guide of some kind. He drew this guy once and he had couldn't remember for crap what he looked like and kept going back to that over and over is what my figure is. But Icarus, since he was drawing that on a monthly basis... You know, he just kind of like during here's I'll just do the same thing that I did on the last page and do the same thing I did on the last page and the same thing I did on the last page. Um, But then over the course of a year, that's kind of morphed a little bit. His hair got shorter. His uh, the design on his belt kind of streamlined a little bit, Um, and it's it's a way of me looking at trying to understand what Jack Kirby was thinking while he was doing these drawings on a, on a day-to-day basis. When he sat down at the drafting table, picked up his pencil and started scribbling what was going through his head in terms of a visual design. Um, and if that is interesting or educational or a learning opportunity for somebody else, that's fantastic. But that's not, it's more of a learning opportunity for me. Um, and I'm kind of uh, reminded, I think it was a uh, uh, Feynman who said that, you know, you don't really understand something until you can teach it to somebody else in, in simplistic terms. I forget exactly the, the exact quote, but he said something to that effect. Um, and that's kind of what it's like for me is I'm trying to get to that point where I understand it enough that I can sit down and explain that to the next person. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it happens to be if I can explain it well enough that you get it, that just means I've gotten it and I've, I've kind of understood it. And that's, that's kind of my approach to anything that I'm writing here. Like, you know, whether it's a blog whether it's Jack Kirby collector, whether it's something that I put together for Marvel or, uh, uh, whoever else <laughs> I've, uh, I've worked for. Um, you know, that, that's kind of the intention there is that's, me processing everything me trying to understand everything and then you know i may as well put this out there for everybody else because i've already done the work on it so it's it's the research is the ends of itself and then the means are the writing if that makes sense
0: yeah that's great um and uh so web comics, anthropology, uh, constant sort of blogging um, in ways that kind of reveal the kind of you know minutiae of comics comic studies what's next for you Sean?
1: Um, i don't know if this is next actually next, but what I've been threatening to write for for a while is a piece on a book on the Blackstone comics of the 1930s and 40s. Uh, The Blackstone is obviously the the actual Harry Blackstone Sr. was a magician back in the day and very popular one uh, for his day. Uh, Came after Houdini and a lot of the the big names that you typically know, Thurston and and those kinds of guys. Um, And he kind of made a a big name for himself. Um, Big enough that he had a comic book uh, that was uh, several comic books actually based off of him and uh and his adventures. It was actually created um by the same guy who created the shadow and um you know he he wrote i think it was i don 't know something like thirty issues and i 'm trying to oh, i 'm drawing a blank on the the order he it was actually it was it was popular enough that it went through several publishers uh, over the course of, I think it was about 10, 15 years, something like that. Um, and it would end up being, it was a it was a popular enough book that um, it kept selling until the publisher decided they didn't want to do comics anymore and they collapsed. And um, there was one issue by uh, EC and they they got the one issue out and he went to he was going to meet with Bill Gaines. Uh, wait a minute, no, the Bill or Max? I think the it's, father. Yeah. Th- uh, he, think he went. Max, yeah. Yeah. So he went to meet him after, right after the first issue was kind of done and wrapped up, and you know, talking about how we can do this. That was the weekend that he died. Died. So he never ended up meeting him because he was in that you know nasty boating accident literally two days before. Um, so then that never got published. So he ended up, he ended up taking it to timely, uh, and timely did, I think it's like six or eight issues or something like that. Um, I was, I found it absolutely fascinating. The, the, one of the main artists, a uh, guy by the name of EC stoner was the same guy who created Mr. Peanut, the, the icon character from the planters folks. Right. Um, a lot of weird little things going on here. Um, just absolutely fine. Fascinating. Absolutely minutia. Nobody ever cares about this stuff. Um, none of these comics have been reprinted in, I don't know, 30, 40 years at least. Um, nobody's clamoring for them. Certainly. Um, but i you know i find it fascinating all the the way like all this stuff kind of interacts and and mixes together so that's going to be uh, hopefully my next thing and like i said i've been threatening to write this for a little while now um yeah.
0: well i love it i i yeah you should write it and uh, i'll be the first to buy it um where so you talked you've mentioned a couple of web comics um mm-hmm. Maybe you can mention a couple of others for our viewers or listeners um, that are really exciting to you and, and comics generally, or, you know, comic studies, like what's what's exciting you right now?
1: Ooh, there's a, there's a lot going on. Um, within web comics, I'm trying to think of some of the, I think one of the more interesting ones that ju- I haven't seen the reboot. He just restarted his uh, home I don't know if you've ever seen or heard of that one. That one ran for, I don't know, eight or 10 years, something like that. Um, it was a really interesting story that was kind of built along the premise of, uh, it was almost approached as one of those point and click adventure games from like the 80s or 90s that you'd get. Um, and it was, it was a really fascinating story in the first place, got into some real surreal kind of things. He did a good mix, I think, of uh, bringing in different elements. So it wasn't just like many many web comics are just here's, you know, a handful of panels and you click onto the next page and here's a handful more panels. Um, He got into some interactive stuff, which is debatably not comics, but since they were a fairly minor part, I still consider them comics. He got in some uh, multimedia stuff. again, you could debate whether or not that's comics, but I, I think he did it judiciously enough that the broad work, homestuck is is considered comics. Um, he finished that a few years ago. He just started a new version of that, like a, a 2.0, as it were. Um, I have not read that yet, but I'm looking forward to it, to seeing what he does with that. Um, different climate, different technology available. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, looking forward to and enjoying anything that, um, you know, just is a good storytelling experience. Um, there's a lot of good ones out there. Two of them that I talk into the book are uh, Questionable Content and Dumbing of Age. Are, uh, those are both creatively, uh, artistically, I guess, are pretty straightforward in terms of just here's the story of, you know, uh, Gen Xers or Gen Zers or whatever he's specifically calling them, Um, uh, you know, getting through life and kind of slice of life kind of pieces. They're not – they're just very creatively done, I think. Um, And, you know, anything with an interesting story, uh, Atomic Robo, is a good one I enjoy I enjoy uh particularly what I like about him is he's been able to uh, or they've been able to kind of go back and forth between print and digital pretty seamlessly um, uh, that's been uh's been very creative um, in terms of uh print I'm still discovering new stuff all the time you know uh, you go through Kickstarter, there's a dozen interesting things on any given day um the the last one I read, just this weekend. I forget when the official book release is. Right around the time we're recording here, I'm sure it'll be out by the time this goes live. Uh, is a Band Book Club uh, by Ryan Estrada and uh, Kim Hyuk Sung. I hope I pronounced that right. It's his wife, um, and he basically gets into. Uh, it's basically her story of living in Korea in the 1980s and, you know, basically going from a typically seria, almost stereotypically model Korean student to not quite an anarchist, but, but somebody who's definitely pushing the boundaries of what's out there and, and what's acceptable and, and being a political activist and that uh, absolutely fascinating story. And I think one that's increasingly relevant these days. Um, not just within the context like Korea, she, they live in South Korea, things are more or less fine there, but you know, obviously problems in North Korea, we're seeing more political issues here in the United States, in the UK, uh, France, uh, to a degree, um, you know, a bunch of other countries. Um, so I think that kind of thing is going to be interesting. I think, uh, I think a lot of things that interest me now. Uh, in the print world in particular, are those that kind of get that historical context. Um, again, kind of that educational piece is what, what is out there? What can I learn from something out, out of this? So not just uh, what Superman up to today or, or how did Batman defeat the Joker this time, but uh, oh, here's a history and of all of the context around the Tiananmen square massacre, or uh, I, finished a little while back, um, uh, barefoot Gen. uh, you know, the, the manga about the atomic bombs that we dropped on Japan. That was hugely enlightening. You know, I, I'm, I'm really getting into that kind of stuff lately. Uh, biographies in general. Um, that's one thing I haven't seen enough of in web comics at this point is I haven't, I'd love to see more biography style, comics uh there's a lot of memoir out there but not a whole lot of biography which i'd love to see more of um and in terms of comic studies i just love seeing the the enthusiasm um you know there's still a lot of stuff out there left to be explored there's still people talking about mouse still people talking about Watchmen, persepolis all of those i get it that's fine um but what i love is the the last few conventions that i've been at um you know, there was, there was just a huge amount of enthusiasm behind the, the, the younger presenters, right. You get your, you know, the, the work that, you know, guys like Thomas Inge and Charles Hatfield and and all those guys, it's great. I love that very educational, very insightful, but in terms of the vi- vitality, that enthusiasm, they were, they were fighting against in a lot of degrees just kind of getting that respect and getting out there. Right. I think the, the, the newer folks today kind of take that as given. And so they're able to run out there with their enthusiasm and just charge ahead and, hey, I'm going to talk about this and whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be Dark Knight Returns again. It doesn't have to be Watchmen again. And those are, like I said, those are still getting brought up, which is fine. But they're also talking about uh, you know, whatever Gail Simone's working on, or whatever Raina Telgemeier's working on, or whatever Tom King's doing these days, right? Um, so there's a, they're they're out there. They're talking about their their favorite books. They're talking about um, a lot of what excites them, and that excites me. You know, the, to see that enthusiasm, I, I think that's fantastic.
0: Wow. Well, um, yes, I'm right with you too. Um, the new generation and all of the kind of incredible passion and the new things that they're uh, sort of revealing for us. Um Sean Kleefeld, thank you so much for talking fan anthropology, web comics, uh, your own kind of deep dive into the kind of untold histories. Thank
1: you, Sean. Thank you. No, thank you again for having me, Frederick. This was uh, this was fantastic. Loved it.